Welcome to Lights at the End of the Tunnel, a place where we shine a light on, rant, complain, and try to find solutions about the MGA. After all, we are all in these tin cans together. Welcome back to Lights at the End of the Tunnel. Glad to have you back. Episode 19, recorded December 8th, 2018. On this episode, I speak with Senator-elect Jessica Ramos. Jessica Ramos was elected to New York's 13th district. Her district includes Corona, Jackson Heights, East Elmhurst, Dittmar Steinway, and parts of Woodside. As a daughter of immigrants, she understands hard work in order to achieve something great. She has spent her life fighting for the working people as a union advocate and community activist. As a union advocate, she has worked with Build Up New York City, Social Service Employees Union, and Service Employees International Union. She represented everyone from construction workers, building and hotel maintenance workers, office cleaners, and public school custodians. In her community, she is a member of Community Board 3 and served as a Democratic District Leader in the 39th Assembly District. Jessica Ramos has boots on the ground and understands the needs of her community. On this episode, we discuss Andy Byford's plan Fast Forward, the impact of Amazon coming to Long Island cities, the joys of commuting on the 7 train, accessibility, the board's lack of understanding how transit actually works, and so much more. After my interview with Jessica, I will speak on what we learned from Jessica and my thoughts on what we learned from Jessica. Following my summary, I will have contact information for Jessica and myself. Please enjoy. Today I'm speaking with Jessica Ramos. Jessica Ramos is your senator-elect for New York's 13th district. Her district includes Corona, Jackson Heights, East Helmer, Dimmas Steinway, and parts of Woodside. As a daughter of immigrants, she understands hard work in order to achieve something great. She has spent her life fighting for working people as a union advocate and a community advocate. She has boots on the ground in her district and she understands the needs of her district. She believes that she, as a true progressive, she can be, bring positive change to the 13th district. Thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for, Thanks for having me. Such an exciting time. It really is. I, it really seems that the winds are changing and we're on the verge of really building a different government that actually reflects people's needs and, and there's just so much to fix. <laughs> Um, that it's it, it, it's a little daunting, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful we can we can create lasting change. Well, with with new leadership, we recognize. La tiene la azúcar, listo. La tiene la madre. ¿Qué te la pusieron? Yours doesn't have any sugar. Thank you. Excelente campaña que está haciendo contra lo de Amazon. Gracias. Totalmente de acuerdo contigo. Gracias. She just she just gave me props for what I'm doing on Amazon. <laughs> I love that. So, you know, just so everyone knows, we're in a local coffee shop here in Jackson Heights. So local flavor, which is important. I like to visit everybody in their own neighborhood so we get, we get an idea of where we are. Well, this is definitely me in my natural habitat. Which is fine. I'm for it. <laughs> it's like, I just spend a lot of time out here, so it's always good to go to a local spot and hang out with local people. 
So one of the things New Yorkers can agree on is that the MTA is in critical condition. It needs to be talked about, hence the podcast. It needs to be said out loud, that way it can be heard and that way it can be worked on. Because once things come to the light, you can't ignore it anymore. I have a few questions regarding specific issues, and if there are any district-specific issues you'd like to speak on, feel free. Um, have you read Andy Byford's plan, Fast Forward, and what are your thoughts on it? So, I, I have read the plan, and I think it's fantastic. Look, I trust that Andy Byford understands what it is that we need to do in order to dig ourselves out of this hole that we've been placed in. Um, I always love to say, because I, well, I think it's cute, that for, for many governors, I think starting with Pataki, they got used to using the MTA like an ATM. Pataki just invested altogether. Correct. So, so taking out As all did Giuliani. So taking out all of that money, yeah, but it's different for so city and yeah, state, it's different. I know. But, um, but at the state level, who's really responsible for the MTA, they've been, they've been divesting and taking money away from the MTA for decades now, yeah. using it for other projects, like saving ski resorts. Oh, we're going to talk about money. Um, we're going to talk and, about um, money. <laughs> And uh, it's, it's, it's really, really a disgrace. It is, it's, it's embarrassing. The MTA in its current state is embarrassing. Especially, it's like, I was in Greece last week. Greece is broke, but their subways work, their trolleys work, and their buses work. They're on time and they're clean. Again, Greece is bankrupt. The city is not. And yet we can't move people. Correct. But let's talk about, uh, as far as Byford's plan, I think it's a good start, and I don't. I I think he needs to be more honest about how long it's going to take, because it's going to take longer than you know five to ten years. And that, I wish right. I wish he'd be a little bit more honest. Well, about I, that. I don't see how we're going to find the money that he needs in five to ten years. I know he has to find the money first. Then he has to set up the processes. He has to he has to do all the um, the contracts for the construction people. And that's going to take a good two or three years. So it's just kind of like people are like, now, now, now. But it's so dilapidated that there's so much work that has to go along in it. So we have to, unfortunately, patience is a word that I hate to use right now. But we kind of need it, although we're out of it. I mean, we've, we've been very patient. Look, I know it, we have. One of the good things is that our the bar has been so low for such a long time that even if it's slowly but surely, if we see the improvements that we need, right now, you know, they've been working on uh, making the signal system on the 7 line better. And yet, we've seen how delays on the 7 train have been increasing, not decreasing with the new signal system. Same thing on the L line. Right. So clearly, I know less about the L line because I don't have it. Right. But um, I don't take it either. But yeah. I, but I, I'm enough on Twitter to know that it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's it's really dis disheartening to see what's going to happen. Look here, here along the seven line, and I have I have seven stops in my district from the seven line alone. All right. Never mind the E, the F, the M, the R. Um, and the N and the W and the Astoria part of my district. Uh, but here, what, you know, the supposed air train that's going to come from LaGuardia Airport that will connect 
to the 7 train will increase ridership on the 7 train. The development of Willits Point is another burden on the 7 train. The L train shut down. Sorry. Oh, oh it's a big yeah. burden on the 7 train and now we're and now we're adding Amazon to the 7 train. Well, in terms of the L train, I hear people in Brooklyn going, "Well, I'll just take the G to the 7." I'm like, "You'll never leave Queens." First of all, the G, even if they extend it, it's still going to be packed. And then by the time you get to, you know, Queens, they're, they're already overburdened already. So you're ne you'll never leave Queens. Sports car is going to be a mess. You know, I'm really excited. In this upcoming legislative session, I think congestion pricing is obviously going to be a huge topic. There's lots of different opinions about congestion pricing, even amongst those of us who support it, right? There are people who want carve-outs. There are people who have, you know, other concerns. But at the end of the day, congestion pricing isn't even going to be enough to cover to cover the $40 billion that we need. So we are going to have to start thinking creatively and, above all, make sure that those funds can't be taken away from the MTA. Make sure, making sure that we're creating a lockbox of sorts. Definitely. Because um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But right now, let's talk about the most recent elephant in the room in Queens, Amazon. Now, Bikeford apparently went to Amazon and told them not to worry about because Queens is transit rich. I have the article if you'd like to see it. But basically, he told them everything's going to be awesome by the time they show up. Now, you live here. You've spent your entire life here. As it stands now, can Queens take the burden of Amazon right now? We can't. I mean, we are at capacity. We've seen how even just news of Amazon coming to Long Island City has created lots of speculation as to the prices of real estate. Oh my god, I've heard, that, City. I've heard that people are buying apartments sight unseen. It's Correct. just like, it's, it's appalling. So there's that, and obviously with people buying apartments come children that need schools. Um, you know, it's it's a burden on our infrastructure, on our hospitals, on our, on our public transportation system. And a lot of the limelight is on the supposed headquarters that's coming to Long Island City, but my district is actually getting the fulfillment center. We're getting the warehouse. House oh, you're getting the with um, traffic with uh, with a couple thousand jobs that are barely going to pay a living wage, um, and there's no guarantee of guarantee of local hiring. There is no discussion as to whether these jobs will be good jobs for our neighbors. Um, and yes, that's added traffic and added, uh, you know, ridership to the seven train because it'll be it'll be in Woodside. I, I, they're all focusing on the headquarters. Correct. No one's talking about the fulfillment center. I am. I know you are. <laughs> but the thing is, they're, de Blasio doesn't talk about it. The governor doesn't talk about it. They were all talking about the headquarters. Right. And that's what everybody's focused on. Because of the, the subsidized helipad. Because he doesn't want to deal with traffic and he doesn't want to deal with the train. What does that say about the city where it can't move people? And we have to pay for a helipad. That's what everyone's focused on. No one's focused entirely on the fulfillment center that's coming that will bring trucks, traffic, people. It's just, and exactly, the warehouse people aren't making what the people at HQ will be making. And we already know that. 
Yeah, yeah, no, the average, so the average expected salary at HQ2 would be around $125,000 a year, and the average salary at the Fulfillment Center would be around $28,000. I did not know that. That's, that's not, that's not sustainable here in the city. They've already chosen a site. We're waiting to see, you know, whether they're going to choose a developer, like where where we're headed uh, for the fulfillment center. <coughs> but it's very worrisome. Yeah, I mean, that that's not a living wage in the city. That may be a living wage, like in Virginia. <laughs> yeah, Virginia, they, they can, you can get by on that. You can get by on that here in the city if you have children and you have to feed and clothe them and pay rent. Especially now that the rents are too damn high. Right. <laughs> That's right. Everywhere. That's right. That's right. You know, it's getting it's getting harder to live in in Queens, and and you know, because nothing in New York happens in a vacuum. Of course, in 2019, rent regulations are up. So by June, we as a legislature also have to figure out how we're going to be protecting tenants a lot more than we have been in order to maintain some modicum of affordable housing here. Um, and, and, and that goes hand in hand with you know everything that's happening with Amazon and people buying up all of those luxury apartments and com completely changing the market. It's, it's really shocking. When you really break it down, it's, it's very shocking. And no one's talking about that. They're just not. And they should be. A prior podcast was about the emotional costs of the MTA. Stressors, triggers. However... I, I, I experienced those triggers firsthand. Oh, yeah, I talked to a therapist. He helped us deal yeah. with like, um, 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 panic attacks. Because they happen all the time. I have them. Yeah. I interviewed somebody who has them. I spoke to a therapist to help us deal with how we deal with that breathing techniques, all yeah. that stuff. Because it was my third podcast. Because to me, it's important that it gets out there that emotionally we can't take it anymore. No, that's right. So two summers ago, uh, while I was working at City Hall, I got stuck on the 7 train underneath the East River for two hours. And it was the, the so-called summer of hell. Yeah, um, which is every summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in the middle of, of us being stuck there, the woman next to me just erupted in, you know, in, in, in emotion. She was crying. She was sobbing. And it's because, as a single mom, her job is uh, at a retail store where she's paid by the hour. So being late two hours meant her pay was going to be docked two hours. If they don't fire her. Right, if they don't fire her. So she so she was very, very worried about being late. And then there was another a woman who heard us chatting and uh, added that she was on her way to her first day at a new job. And she had been, you know, looking for a new job for a long time. She finally found it, and now she was going to be two hours late without being able to tell them, right, that, they're, that she's running late. Um, and that's that's not that's it's not good for for our well-being, nope. um, and it's certainly not good for our economy. It's not. Um, we, we're losing hundreds of millions of dollars a year in lost wages, lost appointments, but the emotional cost of perpetually worrying about stuff. I mean, the R when I go to the Montague every day. It's just kind of like, am I going to get stuck here? Because I spent too much time getting stuck on a bridge. Underwater and on the bridge are two of the worst things in the world. Because there's literally nowhere for you to go. 
but ultimately what the L train is causing phenomenal amounts of stress in Brooklyn and on both sides of the river because no one really knows how this is going to play out. And Sandy happened six years ago. And the best they came up with was an armada of diesel buses going down a bridge into the village that can't take that kind of vehicular traffic. And they've added ferries out of pressure from the city. But how would you like to address the poor planning and communication of the L train shutdown that is supposedly scheduled for April of next year? You know, we haven't seen any real creative solutions to this at all. And, and as we mentioned earlier, it's going to create added stress to the Court Square stop in Long Island City because, yes, folks can easily take a bus or the G train up to the E7 that stop at Court Square. Um, I would like to, in a perfect world, figure out how we can get people to drive less so that we can have more dedicated bus lanes um, and promote alternative means of transportation. But ultimately, we know that especially in the winter, it's not exactly easy bike. to ride a bicycle. You can't bike, you can't right. do scooters, you right. can't do that. Stuff. Right, so, so it's, it's going to create a level of mayhem that New York has never, ever seen. And I, I am very sad that I haven't seen any sort of hackathon or a bringing together of city planners of minds who can help us figure out the best logical way to deal with this. Community organizations in the village actually sued the MTA just for information. Because all this information came out in drips and drafts. Like, well, we're sending a bunch of buses down your street, but they can't take it. The, the village is old yeah. school. It's not in the grid system. Yeah. Narrow streets. You're going to get stuck behind uh, sanitation trucks. You're going to get stuck down school buses. Never mind the bikes and all that stuff that are down there already. I, I always say the biggest problem with the MTA is the A. It's an authority. And unfortunately, because of that designation, it allows that entity to be less transparent um, and not as forthcoming with its information about how it's doing. I mean, the Senate Transportation and Authorities Committees haven't had an, a non-budgetary hearing about the MTA in over a decade. And if you look at everything you've been going through, it's a real, real shame. There is no actual precedent as to how uh, our state government should be providing oversight for there this needs, agency. There needs to be an oversight meeting. I, I mean, I tweeted to Mathilde, who I spoke to before the election, and I was like, please help us set up an oversight meeting, because you spoke about that in your podcast. Please set up an oversight meeting because it's ridiculous at this point. But another thing I want to talk about is communication. They have such an aversion to communication, both internally and to us. So no one knows what's happening. And I'd like to point out that the time clocks, the fancy screens at some stations, the website and the app are all in different systems. So they don't communicate with each other. Yeah, and, and we've been spending too much time and money on those cosmetic repairs. I mean, those countdown clocks should be obsolete. All of the hundreds of thousands of dollars, I'm sure it's in the millions now that we've spent on those countdown clocks, could have probably been better used in actually improving the system. Um, it's it's been a real it's been a real shame. Um, I I don't think that the MTA can handle being that 
that designation anymore. Um, the chairman of the MTA shouldn't be allowed to have more than, you know, should be should just focus on being the chairman of the MTA. Yeah, Joe Loda, when he was still here before he left, he was only here 49% of the time. Right. The rest of the time he's at NYU and all, MSG of, his, and MSG and all of his other conflict of interest boards. He wasn't focused here. And it's like, why would you bring somebody back who is not focused here. Right. You brought him back because it was in a state of emergency. If you are in a state of emergency, your sole purpose in life should be fixing the emergency to bring it out of it. That, the procurement process, understanding exactly how MTA contracting works, who, how the process, how those, how those uh, RFPs are being doled out, who's bidding, I mean, it is the most secretive contracting process there is in this state and it's our, perhaps our most important yes. the most important yes. part of our life and that is something that I'm really looking forward to figuring out with my colleagues to me that's that's you know as we start figuring out what the way forward looks like it's making sure that we actually know how how money is being used how we're doing with contracting and, and making sure that we're that we're taking up best practices. This is very true. Um, the way money is spent and lost, how it's made, spent, and lost. This city loses more money than any of us can count. It's distressing. If any of us lived our lives the way the MTA loses money, we'd all be, you know, fighting stray dogs for cold French fries. I mean, yeah. it's like well, that's I know, right. it's like I know what my budget is, and I know that $121 that comes out every month for that monthly pass hurts me and soon to go up to 126 25 <coughs> It's just like that, that just alone just... Right, and, and it's supposedly like because of fare beaters, for which they actually have no real data to Exactly, support. I was going to talk about that, but let's talk about sorry, it now. Sorry, yeah, sorry to but, skip but, ahead. But fare evasion, that, that report that they came up with was just based on observation. And the numbers they came up were on observations. There was no study. This is what you do before you do a study. Well, look, here, here, I don't know about you, but here's my observation. I very, very rarely see anyone jumping the turnstile. The only time I've seen people jump the turnstile is when their card does not work at the turnstile itself. And the person at the booth either is, can't be helpful, there's too much of a line, the train is coming, they have to get to work. That's the only time I've ever seen it. I've never seen these teenagers that they're talking about just, just and they're also doing fair beating as illegal swipes. It's like, well, that's already been paid. And then on the buses, a lot of times, for time, the bus driver will just wave you through. So well, that's if, true. If that's fair evasion, then that's on them. That's right. And on Long Island Railroad, the cars are so packed that the conductors can't get through to get the payment. So again, you're setting up, you're set, you're creating this narrative. They're set up for failure. It's just yeah, another yeah. narrative of blaming us. Before this, it was for hire vehicles, but Lyft, Via, and Uber all advertise on MTA property. Before that, it was our inability to board and disembark, hence those condescending arrows on the floor. So it's just like, you can't keep pushing the narrative that it's all our fault that you can't maintain your money. But that study is horrendous. 
because it's not a study. It's just blaming. And who are you blaming? Where did you? Where were the neighborhoods that you saw this in? Exactly. What neighborhoods are you exactly. talking about? No, but even if it's on the Upper East Side and, and, and somebody, you know, from Brooklyn or from Queens just went there for, you know, a doctor's appointment, um, a day at work. Yeah. It, I mean, the cost of living here rises every day. Um, and it's really, really hard to keep up. Um, that's why every time, you know, if I'm if I'm leaving the train station and I see somebody waiting, I always swipe them, you know, swipe it forward. I, I really do. I mean, I always buy um, the, uh, uh, the Metro card for the month as well, uh, the unlimited card. And so, you know, when I see folks waiting, I, I mean, I help them out. Yeah. I mean, they're not, it's not easy to have to ask someone for help like that. Well, you know what? Well, when Matilda and I had our, our podcast, she said accessibility is not just with elevators and for disabled citizens. It's actually being able to ride the train. So it's like we need to look at accessibility in two forms, not only for our disabled citizens, but for those who can't afford it. Because it is getting very expensive. Because to some people, that 275 is it. They're working two or three jobs to survive. I know people take the train to work, but walk back home. Wow. So it's just kind of like this way of living in this city where you have to make choices. It's either food or rent. Or you have to get to work, so you have to buy the pass. And if the train doesn't work, they don't have Uber. They can't do a cab. Right. And if and your options are limited to where your train crafts out. Like, what neighborhood can I buy the bus? Can I afford the bus? That, that's more than what this is. It's like they don't understand. And again, our board doesn't understand how things work. Because a board member literally asked, how do the buses work? How do fares work on the buses? How do they oh, take the buses? that bus? was... Larry Schwartz. That, Larry that, Schwartz. That You've man. been there. Larry Schwartz has been there for years, and he has the audacity to say input. You're saying all the quiet parts loud now, but the important thing is you know what's happening now. You know where their mindset is. They have three metro cards. They should be taken away. And not only that, the board members should be forced to take the train. Well, the and board the members should look like New Yorkers for starters, uh, because they don't exactly reflect the demographic of New Yorkers. They don't. There is no average citizen on that board. I would venture to say that there's probably few, if any, residents of outer boroughs who have the experience of taking the L train or the 7 train or, you know, the 5 and the 6 up in the Bronx. Like, those are real-life experiences that we need board members to have. One of them should depend on the bus. Somebody should live in a transportation desert that that's, you know, in a two-fare zone um, in order to understand what that plight is like. The fact that he asked how buses work at a public meeting after being on that board for so long years is insulting. It's in, well, it's insulting. It's a slap in the face. It's just like if, first of all, if you are on the board, you should be required to take transit. You should be required at least twice a week to take transit and not let anybody know about it. You just get on and deal with it like the rest of us. You get trapped in a tunnel for 40 minutes. You get trapped in a tunnel for 40 minutes. That's right. You get stuck in traffic, you get stuck in traffic. That's how the rest of us are living. That's right. Especially those of us who don't have driver's licenses. The thing is, it's like the people on the board not only can afford to drive, but they can afford to park in this city. And that's what it comes down to. 
Those are two very different things. We need full reform. Yes. Bottom up, inside out. Yep. The MTA needs a complete overhaul. And that's probably going to be the biggest fight of our time here locally, hyper-locally. Yeah. Um, because we cannot pretend to, co to continue being the best city in the world that we love to think that we are because of our diversity, because everybody you know, comes here looking for more opportunity. That's not going to stay that way when our public transportation system is shit. Here's the thing, New York became a financial, cultural, and social center of the world because of 1904 when the first subway opened. Moving people quickly through large expanses. If the subway dies, the city dies. If the city dies, the state dies. If the New York state dies, the rest of the, the country, country will follow. Yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. So let's talk accessibility. Our disabled citizens are not being accommodated. Currently, 22% of subway stations are accessible across over all train lines. It's 40%. While Byford's plan calls for 70 more elevators in his first phase, it still leaves more than half stations without. Accessoride picks up some of the slack, but not enough. <laughs> where, where to begin? Accessoride does not work. No, it doesn't. Um, the fact that there are so many contracts uh, ends up in a very unreliable system that is not cohesive and, and, and sort of the, the contractors aren't necessarily talking to customers in a way that's productive. Beyond elevators, even just escalators, look. It's, so, so, the, uh, so, elevator, so elevators are missing from a lot of stations where there should be. To me, of course, obviously every station should have an elevator, but at the very least major transportation hubs so that uh, we, can, we can stop uh, making people with disabilities um, sort of go even sometimes farther than where they're going yeah. just because it's easier to get around for them that way. But we also have people who use the elevators who don't need to be using the elevators, which for me is where the escalators come in. I, I can't, so here we have a huge transportation hub on 74th Street, right? It's the 7 train, the E, the F, the M, and the R. Right. Um, and there's an elevator that, of course, connects all of the platforms. Um, but I can't tell you how many people wait for the elevator who don't need it. Right. Or, or seemingly, I should say, right? Because for all we know, maybe they do have a bad knee or a bad ankle, but perhaps those folks can actually use an escalator to go up and down and free up the elevator for people who are on wheelchairs or on, um, or, or on crutches. Or, or for parents with small children. Or strollers. Right. Or, or just, you know, our older seniors right. who are just walking a little slower these days. I mean, the, we're not thinking about how to make it easier for people to ride the train. Um, and I mean, and in a way, I guess, why should we if the train isn't working? Um, but it's one of those, you know, chicken and the egg type of things. You know, which one should, which one came, comes first um, in figuring it out? But um, but the fact that we don't, our MTA isn't ADA compliant um, is 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 a real issue. We have an issue here with our post office. Our post office doesn't have a ramp 
wow. for people with disabilities that we've been begging for for a very, very long time. I thought that was it's required. Very, you, it is required. Um, but, however, it's not. It's, it's something that the government just continues to seemingly put people with disabilities at the bottom of the totem pole. Um, and that's not fair. That's not equity. And it's not enough. I, would I spoke to Monica Bartley from CIDNY, and she pointed out it's not enough that you have the elevators. You have to maintain them and keep them clean because frequently urine, feces, trash meet our disabled citizens, and they have to, you know, deal with that. And that is unacceptable, too. That's right. Again, we can't be the greatest city in the world if we can't accommodate everybody. There's... Nearly a million people in the city that are that require an elevator or accessory. That's right, and, and I would argue that the MTA workers themselves deserve to work with state-of-the-art equipment and not, you know, consistently have to adhere to this 1930s system that is is you know completely antiquated, dilapidated. It's it's. It's really unfortunate. I mean, here along Roosevelt Avenue, which is the main seven train corridor, um, we see how the stone bases of the elevated train are quite literally crumbling. Um, it's dangerous. A couple of months, actually, I think it was over this past summer in Sunnyside, some debris—it wasn't debris—some um, some piece of stonework from the elevated seven train fell. And it didn't, luckily it didn't even hit a car, it didn't hit a person, it didn't hit a car, but it could have, and it could have killed someone. Our, our system is literally falling apart. Um, and We should and be grateful that the people who originally built them were actual craftsmen who took pride in their work. The problem is it's 100 years old. Yeah, that's right. And it's, it's just, you know, fixing it piece by piece isn't gonna help anymore. Putting band-aids on it isn't helping, and they really need to figure out a way to do this. I should point out that there's an elevator coming to Bay Ridge at 86th Street, but it's going to take two years, and it's going to cost $17.9 million. They started construction now. It should be done by spring. Do you know that with elevators, you and I could install and or maintain an elevator? In New York, you do not have to be licensed or certified to install and or maintain an elevator. And that to me is mind-boggling and explains why so many don't work. Yeah, that does explain why a lot of you do. Yeah. So you don't have to be bonded or anything? Nothing. There, there's actually a bill in the state senate called the Elevator Safety Act in order to um, create some sort of minimum standard and, and make sure that you know people need to be licensed in order to install and or maintain an elevator. Okay, duh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh my god. Okay, big question. What will you do to make sure those in Albany use allocated MTA funds? Honestly and usefully, and that diverted to other projects. Yeah, that's so. That's what we were talking about earlier about figuring out how we can create uh, better oversight. And the problem is that it's unprecedented, right? We we've seen how when the Republicans were in the majority in the state Senate, they very much ignored um, the MTA, largely because it's not in their district. But now, now we're not only at, in a different time, but we have a different state Senate in flipping many of those seats 
specifically in Orange and Rockland County and on Long Island. And Gownardos in my district. Right. So um, that ends up being the opportunity, I think, for us to make sure that we're creating pressure and we're setting a precedent for how the state legislature should provide oversight over the MTA. I'm very eager. Uh, we should be finding out over the next few uh, week, like the next week or so, who's going to be chairing what committee. But I have no doubt that whoever chairs uh, what's the transportation committee, but also the uh, corporations, authorities, and commissions committee, because both of those, the MTA is an authority, both of those would have um, some say. In, in, in how it is that we're going to provide oversight and again make sure that we're creating a sort of lockbox that ensures that money for the MTA is money for the MTA. Not for a casino, not for a ski resort, not for any other economic, quote unquote, economic development project that um, that's going to keep distracting us from, from getting the system that we need. True. Let's talk fair fares, which is a great initiative. But do you think it does enough to help our lower income citizens who make this city run? I think it's a good start. Look, it was a hard fought win. Uh, the mayor was very adverse to calling for, for fair fares. Um, but I think that in New York, we just have so many people struggling to get by. Uh, the inequality in this city, you know, is just creeping up more and more every day that it's it's a good start um, we know our senior citizens obviously get reduced fares um, but uh, people with with low income who, who also need to get around who probably need to get around the most as they look for a better job as they you know are working sometimes is is it was actually really heartening to see the city council step up to lead that initiative well, someone did, and fortunately, there, you know, Speaker Johnson was, you know, pushing for it really hard, which is important because the mayor wasn't. Right. Oh. Do you think it's appropriate to raise fares next year when transit is so poor no. and getting from point no. A to point B? No. 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 No, it's a foregone conclusion. They're going to anyway. They're going to anyway, no matter what. And all we these say. meetings are a sham. Oh, those public hearings are, 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 are just you know all for show and for them to be able to say that they held them. But at the end of the day, and they start them at five o'clock. And you know, if you want to speak, you have to register at like four thirty. So it's like I'm at I'm at work. You're at work. It's like right. what am I supposed to say? It's like oh yeah, I need to go so I can speak my mind at an MTA hearing. See ya. That's a, that's a how life works. It's a show. It's a no, joke. No, that, that's right. I mean, and and it, the biggest issue is that people have don't really have any binding vote. You know, in 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 this in this conversation, which is which is a real shame. I I really wish they would take into account not just everything that we need to see happen uh, in order to fund the repairs that we need, but also take into account what the average New Yorker's life is like and, and, and what sort of what are what the average, you know, household income is in New York right now, which is not very high. No, it's not. We talked about fare evasion. What are your thoughts on congestion pricing and the recent narrative of legalizing marijuana and having it <laughs> having the proceeds go to fixing the subway. The problem with all of this is, it's like, 
you, there's no talk of a lockbox for it. So, so, for the record, I support both. I support congestion pricing and I support legalizing marijuana. With congestion pricing, I think that it's going to be a long discussion with a lot of the representatives uh, who live farthest away from public transportation, of course. I know folks in eastern Queens um, who really struggle to get to get on a bus, to get up to the seven train, to get to Manhattan and to work. You know, it's it's been a real it's been a real issue. There's a lot of concern. But at the end of the day, even though it's not gonna cover our entire bill, I think congestion pricing is something that A will really help us reduce the number of cars on the road. I mean, and then the buses can move. And then, exactly, it should free up space for buses, it should free up space for bicycles, it should, you know, contribute largely to, to you know, overall a very congested uh, commuting system that we have. Um, but again, I think it's going to be a long discussion. I know that there's a lot of concern, specifically from, of course, those communities that are farthest away. Um, but I'm confident that we're going to be able to come to an agreement somehow over the next year. Um, legalizing marijuana in other states has not proven to be a crazy revenue creator. Um, Colorado specifically uh, thought that by legalizing marijuana, a lot of the revenue generated would be going to their schools. And I have to tell you, I've, I've met with my counterparts in Colorado, and we have spoken about this. It really only creates a couple of million dollars that, of course, helps. Everything is better than zero, but it's certainly not enough. The tens of to, millions everyone thinks is Yeah, different. that's not, that's, I don't, I, I, I'm very conscientious of, of, I think legalizing marijuana ends up being a civil rights issue. We know that white people smoke marijuana with impunity. Um, you know, black and brown uh, marijuana smokers are arrested at a far higher rate. They go to jail and spend um, 20 years there. Right, and so, and so for me, it's more, that's what legalizing marijuana really speaks to, but if we see it as a huge revenue generator, then we're not being realistic. Um, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, once that article hit in the New York Times, and I was just like, it, from what I understand, it's not going to be like 10, 20, 50 million dollars. It's not. No. It's not the cash cow you think it's going to be. Right. Congestion pricing might be able to do that. And plus, it would free up spaces in Midtown for buses to, oh, I don't know, move? Yeah. yeah. And I think in Queens, too, which would hopefully spur more interest, perhaps in, in a rapid bus transit system. Again, for those two, and there's even three fair zones here in Queens, um, so that folks can get where they're going faster. We need people to, to drive less. Yes. Is really what it is. I saw a study where it said that on average, people who are driving into Manhattan, you know, rarely have a second person in the car. And mind you, there are people who genuinely need to drive in because, you know, they have they have uh, physical impediments, perhaps. And I can understand that, and that can that can be a carve out, right, for people with with um, with those with those inabilities. But 
other than that, they, I know. I also know of too many people who just drive to Manhattan because they don't like using the train. But in all honesty, we need you to not drive into right. Manhattan. Right. You're creating a bottleneck. You are the traffic. Yeah. There's too much yeah. traffic. It's like, sweetheart, you are the traffic. What are your thoughts? What, would you like to comment on the recent assaults of MTA employees? Oh, that is... Look, I think that, that actually goes back to what we were talking a little bit uh, ago about the emotional cost of, 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 of the MTA delays. And I'm sorry, we cannot be blaming MTA workers. They're, they're the ones who deal with this crappy system all day, every day. I tell them, um, it's like, they're not the problem. They're driving these 40-year-old cars correct. with these 80-year-old cars. And this is why I said earlier that even the MTA workers deserve to work with equipment that is state-of-the-art. That are you know that allows for our our public transportation workers to be the best in the world um, and be on the cutting edge. No. If anything, they've been helpful. I, I can't tell you how many times because a train suddenly changes course or skips stops or you know whatever it is that I have to go up to the conductor and ask you know where 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 are we going now or where can I switch or whatever it is and they've been nothing but helpful because they know more than anybody how difficult it has become it has become to navigate the MTA. The MTA especially the conductors and the motormen, are not the problem. They're not the problem. You're just taking out your frustration on a physical manifestation of the guy in Albany who's the problem. And this, this is a problem at the top. Yeah, the this fish, is a problem the at fish the head, top. the fish rots from the head down. Let's talk transit deserts. Queens is a massive transit desert, as is the Bronx, parts of um, pockets of Brooklyn, and of course Staten Island, where it takes an hour and a half for any of them to get anywhere. How would you like to address that, and what is your plan to bring relief to these transit assets? So I got very upset when there was brief talk about extending the 7 train to Secaucus, New Jersey. Secaucus? I could have died. I mean, essentially near, near half eastern Queens has no train. If you're going to extend the 7 train, you're going to extend it east, in Queens. That's it. I don't want to hear any of it um, before we even consider going into another state. Um, it's, it's really criminal, actually, how eastern Queens, um, and, and this is why one of my favorite people in the legislature, Assemblywoman Neely Rosick, has been a forceful voice for um, rapid bus transit because her folks in Fresh Meadows, she, she has a huge transportation desert, uh, need to get to work on time. And again, if we want them to stop driving, we need to provide them with, you know, alternatives that are, that are valid. Um, I have a small transportation desert in my district, despite how rich the trains are here. East Elmhurst, which is right by LaGuardia Airport, um, has a lot of, it's a two-fare zone, um, has many buses, but they're not reliable. Um, and again, because there are so many cars on the road, sometimes get stuck in traffic in a way that's, that's just insane, especially in the morning when people are trying to get to work. 
Um, now the governor is proposing an air train for LaGuardia Airport, which is in that neighborhood, and it would, it, as of that, the current proposed plan would connect it to the 7 train at Willits Point in Flushing Meadow Park. But at the end of the day, that train isn't for us, it's for tourists. Yeah. Because in order to ride it, you have to pay $5. And they haven't figured out if you're going to be able to transfer or not. But obviously, you know, that would be $10 coming and going for the air train alone for my neighbors in East Elmhurst. Um, which is so $50 a week. It's, it's a, which is a lot. It, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Um, so, again, for us, being able to figure out ways to have bus rapid transit, say, down Junction Boulevard or down Astoria Boulevard um, would be, I think, a life changer for people. A lot of people brought up light rails for, you know, North Bronx and parts of Queens, which I think would be a good idea. You know, once, um, I think it was two state of the boroughs ago, I actually attended Bronx Borough President Ruben Diaz's uh, state of the borough and he had expressed uh, support for a rail line from the Bronx to Queens to Brooklyn completely bypassing Manhattan which would Good. be amazing it would. amazing Detri that's the triborough thing and it would be on existing freight has, line. Yeah, has been a, has been a fever dream in this city for like 80 years yeah, well I think they need to make it happen we need because to I had to go all the way I, I live in Bay Ridge, so I go all the way from Bay Ridge through the city to come up here this morning. So it's just kind of like, because the G train was being funky this morning and, you know, track work and everything. So it's like, well, I can't take the G to the 7 to get here. So now I'm going to have to do this instead. Right. I mean, look, what, what I don't want to see happen is that it's proposed as, you know, a project that's going to be fully funded by some developer. And so in exchange, sort of what we're seeing with the BQX line, right? That would connect exactly practically Long Island City to Red Hook in Brooklyn, right? All along the East River. Um, that model to me presents a lot of issues. Um, I'm, I'm conflicted by it. It doesn't, the way it's being presented and the way they're talking about funding it, I, I just, I'm not a fan of it. Exactly. So, so same. So that's what I'm saying is when it comes to the Brooklyn Queens uh, Bronx line, I would I would I want to see it happen, but I don't want to see it happen in the same way that the BQX is being proposed. Let's talk about Penn Station. It's a very important station here in the city. So many people come through it, but it's currently the seventh circle of hell right now. So, what are your thoughts on the current state of Penn Station, and what are your suggestions for improvement? Look, I know they're going to move it across the street, but that's like five years from now. In the meantime, we're having derailments, LIRR congestion, Amtrak congestion. It's a mess. So, what are your thoughts on that? Um, it is a mess, and I, I wish that, you know, it was happening faster. But I don't, I don't see, I don't see it happening faster in any sort of way. I think if we're lucky, they'll stick to the five-year timeline. Um, although the five and ten-year timeline seems to be the timeline for everything, um, so I don't know how probable that is. But at least it, I feel like that project is actually ahead of many others because there actually is a timeline being yeah. offered. It's kind of weirdly impressive. <laughs> Did you know that the MTA deep cleans their trains every eight to ten weeks? 
they're planning on cutting down cleaning at the beginning and end of every line for cost. They're also discussing reducing the, AC, the air conditioning and the heating on the trains for cost. They also mentioned cutting down on overnight bus services on Staten Island for cost. And, the, and, the thi and they're doing all of this for cost, but they find money for Eastside Access, they find money for Second Avenue Line, they find tens of millions of dollars to like pretty up the stations, but all of these are services that are positive for us. And I want to know what your feelings are, especially on the fact that the MTA does a deep clean of the, of the trains yeah, you, every you, eight to ten weeks. You, you can guess my feelings about this by now, right? I think it's horrible. Look, Staten, Staten Island specifically is starved for public transportation. I honestly don't know how they do it. Um, I'm a choice by the, by the Verrazano. Yeah. It costs $17 to traffic, get traffic. And, and no, and traffic inside of Staten Island, especially Mid-Island, um, can be can be very very um, insane, and I the the idea of reducing service for Staten Islanders and practically sequestering them on their island at night. Well, it's over, it's really overnight service from the ferry, and their theory is not many people take it. I go. The point being, is there are people who are taking it. They're, if they're coming in from the ferry, that probably means either they're working late hours and they need to get home. Or like they just went out for to have a good night out, and now they're coming back. The point is, you can't leave them stranded like that. I'm gonna take a guess that the same people who observed these invisible uh, fare beaters are the people who observed the lack of service that Staten Island needs. <laughs> Probably. That's true. So, if you could have Governor Cuomo, Andy Byford, or Bill de Blasio in a room together and talk about transit issues, what would you tell them? Well, I would certainly invite them to ride the train with me, for starters. Look, I, I know for a fact that the mayor does take the train somewhat often, at least once or twice a week. I know that for a fact. I used to work for him. Um, but, uh, and I'm sure Andy Byford takes it all the time. Governor Cuomo, on the other hand, I don't think takes the train very often at all. Um, I think the last time he was on it was when he opened Second Avenue. Right, line. right, which would make it two New Year Eves ago. Um, and I think that, went, what, that goes, what, four stops? Yeah. It's probably the cleanest train ever. It is. It's a beautiful station at Hudson Yards. Imagine if there were lots of people to actually use it. Um, but it's... Uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting and ultimately having them in a room would be such a great opportunity to just let them know what New Yorkers are really, really going through, how, how much of a struggle it is to take the MTA in the morning and how it's affecting who we are as New Yorkers economically, emotionally. I mean, it's a crisis that has really taken over our lives and has affected us all. Because the MTA doesn't work, I mean, there's, that's why we have traffic congestion, right? And why, why we have all of these issues. Um, I also think just making sure that we have opportunities for employment outside of Manhattan so that people have to commute less would be really, really helpful. Um, we're just not thinking creatively, and I would love to see those men really sort of just turn the system on its head and figure out how we're 
building a public transportation system from the ground up, not repairing, but ultimately just creating something new with what we have. Okay. In our remaining time, is there anything in closing you'd like to express or say about your district, the city, and not just the MTA? Huh. Um, no, I mean, thank you so much for, for talking to me about this stuff. Look, my district is really diverse, um, immigrant heavy. It's our, our pride and joy is how diverse we are, and that to me is why the inequities, specifically with the seven train line, I feel like are, are pretty negligible. I mean, the state does not seem to care about the seven train line because there are so many immigrants and people of color at all. And I really do see the, the um, sort of their ignoring of the outer boroughs as a racial justice issue. They don't care about us, and yet they want us to be at work on time in order to keep supporting, you know, the elite in Manhattan or elsewhere. And at some point, something's gonna give. Um, and this is largely why I ran for office. I don't have a driver's license. I depend on the MTA to get around. I am often late to things uh, because, because of public transportation and ultimately, they should get ready for us making a lot of noise if they're not going to figure something out soon. Thank you for being on the yeah, podcast. I really sure. appreciate thank, it. Thank you for and having Good luck in the Senate. Thank you. So what did we learn from Jessica today? We learned that the MTA's inability to maintain its system impacts Queens negatively. Not only structurally, but also emotionally. The 7 train is overburdened, packed, and usually late. And the buses need help in regards to just moving down the street. At this moment, Queens cannot take the added burden of Amazon. Jessica is demanding oversight meetings, which I fully agree with. For far too long, money has been allocated to the MTA. And what is there to show for it? Countdown clocks and fancy screens while the rest of the system falls apart. And in terms of Queens, the elevated lines are crumbling in broad daylight. Also, when new revenue streams are created, a lockbox will be required. No more rating MTA funds for pet projects, such as ski resorts upstate. We also agree with commuter blaming for the MTA woes needs to end. As we are not the ones who are causing your delays and your money woes. Hopefully, with Jessica and the new legislators, there will be oversight meetings and demand to know how money is made, spent, and more importantly, how money is lost. The amount of money that the MTA simply loses is staggering and frightening. I agree with Jessica when she says the MTA needs a complete overhaul from the top down. We need members on the board that not only are truly representative of this diverse city, but also understand how transit actually works. 
in order for functional transit in the field, you need to have functional people running it. They need to understand how money is made, how it is spent, how to stay on budget, and the mechanics of moving people. I encourage any politician to talk to me. I may not agree with you politically, but we can still talk transit and the MTA. Color, creed, sexual orientation, and political affiliation doesn't matter. We are all just trying to get to work. Also vote. Get out and vote. If you have not registered to vote, register to vote. I know we just had an election, but local elections happen all the time. That person that you vote for on the school board probably has higher political aspirations that ultimately may impact you more than what textbook your child reads. Plus, the MTA is, in fact, a political organization run by the governor with some board members selected by him and the mayor. You can pick up registration forms at any municipal office. You can call 1-866-VOTE-NYC and they will send you a registration form and you can mail it back. You can also register online. Go to Board of City Elections in the City of New York and you can register there. As Bob Schieffer's mother used to say, go out and vote. It makes you feel big and strong. For those youngins who don't know Bob Schieffer, get your Google on and Google him. I used to watch him every Sunday morning on my Sunday morning nerd show, Face the Nation. Anyway, regardless of your political affiliation, go out and vote. Let your voice be heard. That's it, everyone. Thank you for listening, and I hope that Jessica and I gave you something to think about and chew on. Remember, we're all in these tin cans together, and in order for this to work, we all have to participate. Or just be supportive and be in my amen corner. Here are a few spots where you can reach out to Jessica and myself. And as the four tops one said, reach out and I'll be there. Thank you to Jessica Ramos for meeting with me, and thank you to Maria for helping setting up the meeting. Find Jessica Ramos at www.ramosforstatesenate.com. Phone number 914-984-7054. Email contact at ramosforstatesenate.com. Twitter at Jessica Ramos. Facebook Ramos for State Senate. Instagram, underscore, Jessica Ramos, one word, underscore. Find me, email, podcastsarah at gmail.com, and Sarah is with an H. This podcast is hosted on anchor.com. Twitter, at exenezoom, E-X-E-N-E-Z-O-O-M where I employ the following hashtag, how's Andy's commute, whenever I complain about the MTA about my miserable commute or yours. I've also added hashtag service evasion. Since they started talking about fare evasion this week, I think it's appropriate to point out that they are evading service. So, hashtag service evasion. Also, 40% is failing, not acceptable, 118 out of 472, and hashtag let us ride. Instagram, 
Lights at the end of the tunnel. One big word. Facebook. Lights at the end of the tunnel. SoundCloud. Lights at the end of the tunnel. Spotify. Lights at the end of the tunnel. Google Podcast. Lights at the end of the tunnel. Although this app is only available for Android users. Breaker Social Podcasts. Lights at the end of the tunnel. Radiopublic.com. Lights at the end of the tunnel. Pocketcasts. Lights at the end of the tunnel. Overcast. Lights at the end of the tunnel. Thanks to Ox on the Roof for the intro music. Follow them on Twitter at OxRoofMusic. Also SoundCloud, Ox on the Roof, and Instagram, Ox on the Roof. So reach out and share. The only way for this to be successful is to work together. We need to shine a light so bright they can't ignore us. Shine brightly, everybody.